Heavenly Father, uh, first of all, after thanking you for all things, uh, for working all things together for our good, for establishing us in Christ Jesus with an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away, providing us with a perfect love that can never be removed, uh, giving us security which cannot be challenged uh, through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then his glorious resurrection, declaring us righteous in him by virtue of his shed blood and the complete payment for all of our sins. Father, after all of that, Father, I just pray that you would comfort our hearts and minds as we see troubled times here ahead. Uh, our view is not yours. You see things according to your perfect plan, and it's working out step by step. But, Father, we see uh, what's closely around us and that can be viewed now with the technology that shows us things far away as well, such as in Israel or in China or Russia or wherever uh, the camera may may go, but Father, you uh, are working nevertheless, and your your work is often quite invisible to the cameras. And in fact, it's in the hearts. It's most precious, and your great power, your resurrection power, is at work there in so many. And we're thankful for each one gathered here today, in which uh, your great work is being accomplished. Of that, we are sure. Father, I, I just thank you so much for those uh, thanksgivings and praises that have been offered up. Uh, Linda, with improvement in her sleep, certainly greatly thankful for that. Great thanksgiving for your grace, Father, that is poured out upon us and that you opened our hearts and minds to it, Father, for some Decades and decades ago, for others more recently, but Father, that you've given us understanding of how you're working today by virtue of your great grace. So, Father, thank you so much for that. Thank you for giving us families, uh, either biologically, certainly, Father, our families are so important to us, uh, and also. The, our larger extended families, and also the uh, the church, the body of Christ, and the various groupings there, Father, like this one here on Sunday morning. So, Father, we're so thankful for families and opportunity to fellowship together, to be joined together so intimately. And, Father, I pray that our relationships would be blessed uh, by love, by kindness, and by gentleness, forgiveness, all these virtues that Paul writes about so fluently as the Holy Spirit gave him the very words to use in these letters that we enjoy so much. Father, I pray for this nation, most importantly, that our people might be drawn to you according to your perfect will, Father, for these days in which we live. And we don't know on the larger scale, 
in our nation what you are doing. We know on the small scale, as it were, we know what you're doing in the hearts of many, but we just see the nation uh, driven uh, to and fro by every kind of lie and deception. And the evil is so visibly present, being promoted openly, even paid for by our government uh, dollars. And, oh, my, Father, we're just overwhelmed when we look at it and so concerned, quite anxious sometimes, too, for the future of this uh, republic and its constitutional rule of government. Father, I just pray that you deliver us from the evil one and his willing servants who are causing damage in so many places. I pray that those that know the truth would stand up and be counted, that they'd be bold, certainly locally, where they really have a voice. And we see that's happening in many places already in our country, and we pray for more of that, that our people who know the truth would speak forth boldly and that there'd be many who would have open ears to hear and respond to that truth. Casting out the enemy's lies and replacing them with a sure knowledge of you and our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and your precious word rightly divided. Father, some suffer great pains, really, in their hearts in other respects, too. And I can't uh, help but think of all those who suffer loneliness. And some even in our midst, some perhaps far away, who have been part of our group before and we're still connected with. And some far away are even suffering physical crises uh, surgeries and so forth as we recently heard so father just uh, be with us all encourage us for those who suffer loss in relationships and feel uh, separate and alone father i just pray that you would comfort them and bring them into the midst of others with whom they can fellowship with and be comforted by a mutual ministry so father bless us now as we open your word together and we would ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I've been reminded to let everyone know that they're being recorded. <laughs> I guess you know that. I record these and uh, put them online, you know, uh, each week. So it means mute your mic unless uh, you're about to speak. All right, um, let's uh, go boldly ahead here. It may seem strange how we've gone from Second Timothy <laughs> to take a large uh, intermission. I've called it the great transition, the glorious sweep of God's abundant grace. But I think you're seeing how this all fits in, because when we go back to Second Timothy, which we will do within a number of weeks now, you'll see how rapidly Paul finishes up that second letter, and his final letter finished uh, just before his martyrdom by Nero. So 
So we'll be getting into that within another month or so, I hope, maybe a little longer. So now we're looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, you will remember, if you've been here with us recently, that we've been considering Paul's journeys and how during those journeys he went first to the Jews and then to the Greeks after the Jews largely rejected uh, their own Messiah. He preached boldly to them concerning Christ and his glorious resurrection. And uh, they, for the most part, refused that message. And uh, then he set them aside, city to city to city, and went to the Gentiles. And he was confident they would receive the message, and they did. Uh, But uh, not necessarily in great numbers. Now, he did spend three years in Ephesus. And then he left and and, uh, said he would not, not be back. And he met with the Ephesian elders after visiting some of the other churches to encourage them. And he was on his way to Jerusalem with gifts and offerings that had been collected from the churches, uh, largely the Gentile churches at that point in time, collections for, as he said, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And uh, there we saw that reciprocity, uh, as I've called it, where the spiritual things <laughs> that had been promised to the Jews were not uh, occurring as promised, but the Gentiles were receiving the benefit and the blessings. And so the Gentiles were receiving Israel's spiritual things. And Paul said on the other side, to to cause a, a balance there, the uh, Gentiles ought to provide for the Jews' earthly needs. <laughs> and so they, they did. Uh, and that's what these gifts and offerings were for that Paul took back to Jerusalem. It was all part of the transition period there and how God was working between Jews and Greeks and so forth. Um, so Paul, on his way back to Jerusalem, met with the Ephesian elders. Uh, and we read of that in Acts chapter 20. You remember there were five fundamental teachings that Luke records there, and Paul reminded them concerning these five areas of teaching where he had been teaching them those three years. And uh, that's in Acts chapter 20, and there were five things there. I'll just read them off. First of all, the essential place for repentance and faith Repentance towards God, he says, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the gospel of the grace of God, which he'd preached and they had believed. Thirdly, how he had taught them the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. And not withholding anything that was beneficial to them at the time. And so he was bold to teach them that, I'm sure, in great detail. And I'm sure that they learned much, especially about the Old Testament, because those were early days. And Paul had not received from Christ the whole revelation yet of what he was doing in the dispensation of the grace of God. And uh, so that's the third thing, the whole counsel of God. Fourthly, Concerning the church, 
the church, the body of Christ, which had been purchased, he said, with Christ's own blood. What a message of redemption there. And finally, the word of his grace, which was the instrument for building up the body, the word of his grace. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Now, Paul could have taught much more, but uh, he didn't, or uh, he was limited by various other things that were going on there. Remember, it was still very much a message first to the Jews and then to the Greeks until finally we get to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. And that limits to what degree Paul reveals the fullness of grace. Now, his letters written after Acts 28 will not have that limitation. We saw that as we looked last time at his letter to the Ephesians. Just in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's a very long list of of, um, truth, (laughs) doctrinal truth, one item after another, just listed verse by verse by verse. Just in the first seven verses, we have the most amazing list of teachings there. In this letter written back then to the Ephesians again, several years later, uh, when uh, at Paul's hand, the nation of Israel had already been set aside. This is after Acts chapter 28 and verse 28, when Paul says, okay, Israel... We preached to you, you had your chance, now we turn to the Gentiles, and they will hear the message. That was Paul's message to the Jews in Rome, you'll remember. Okay, just in chapter 1 of Ephesians, though, as we saw last time, we see amazing teaching. First of all, We saw our positional blessings in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Our positional blessings in, in Christ Jesus. Wherever you see that expression, in Christ Jesus, realize Paul is writing about all the blessings of grace that have come to us as members of the body of Christ. Positioned in Christ. Christ Jesus, secured there. In verse 4, he mentions our calling and election. Our calling and election. Those are uh, fundamental teachings indeed, right? Verse 5 of chapter 1, our, he says, predestination. That means the endpoints marked out, the boundaries are marked out. That's what the word literally means. There's a goal God has for us, he's taking us to that goal to that place, ultimately, where our full inheritance will be fully enjoyed. Right now, that inheritance is already ours, but we're only enjoying it to a degree. Later, it'll be full and complete when we're caught up into heaven's glory. Verse 6 of chapter 1, he mentions our full acceptance in Christ. Our full acceptance in Christ. Uh, And how is that accomplished? Verse 7 says, Redeemed through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the riches of his grace. 
Well, Paul goes on. He's not finished yet. This is like a great hymn of praise. Paul cannot sing, uh, cannot stop singing the praises of the Lord by teaching grace doctrine. And that's what every verse here in Ephesians chapter 1 contains. In verses 8 through 11 of chapter 1, in verse 9, we, we read of the mystery of his will. In verse 10, the dispensation of the fullness of times. That's the first place there that he uses the word dispensation in this exact uh, sense, at least, in his uh, letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 10. There'll be much more about that in chapter 3, as we'll see in a few moments as we go on today. Um, The mystery of his will, the secret concerning the will of God that was established in eternity past. The great plan of redemption was created back then, uh, in eternity past, and there was an aspect of that that was not revealed prophetically, and that was what he calls here the mystery of his will, even the dispensation of the fullness of times. And then finally he mentions the inheritance that Gentiles may now receive independently of Israel. That's in verses 11 of chapter 1, also verse 14, also 18, so three times in chapter 1 our inheritance is mentioned. He goes on in the next three verses there to write of uh, something very practical, something that we all have learned something about, and that's that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit when we believed the gospel of grace, sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means we are protected even until the end end, uh, game, as it were. Uh, Nothing can steal away our inheritance. It's been sealed for us. And uh, that's been done by, he says, the Holy Spirit of God, right? That we might receive the completed redemption, he says there in verse 14. Wow, such amazing revelation. As I said, it's a song of praise to what has already been accomplished. He goes on and on then, and oh, in verses 17 through 23, should I read it? I feel like I must. Um, I will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. What the goal and ultimate purpose is of our redemption and how we have been called out to know, to understand how God is working today and what his ultimate goal is in all of this work. So, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So there's how that first part of this great spiritual song that Paul is singing there for all of our benefit, how it ends, the first chapter ends with those words, lifting our hearts into the heavenlies as we read or hear these words read. And it's all secured according to the riches of his grace by Christ's glorious death and resurrection and then translation into heaven's glory where Christ sits today at the right hand of God the Father. Well, brings us to our ongoing examination of what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Today, I'd like to quickly look at chapter 2 and chapter 3. We won't be able to finish chapter 3 today. We'll only be able to introduce it um, due to time constraints, but um, at least we'll look carefully at chapter 2. All of this is about Paul's testimony to the Ephesians through this letter that he writes. Now, he's writing this letter from prison. It's a prison letter. He's writing it after the end of Acts 28. 28. He's writing it from Rome. He's uh, under house arrest there when he writes this. Uh, and what he what he focuses on specifically are the doctrines that relate to the church, the body of Christ, in the dispensation of the grace of God. So that's uh, chapters 1 through 3. And then chapters 4 through 6 mostly focus on the practical import of all of that. What does it all mean, more practically speaking? So there in chapters 4 through 6, we learn about what the life of the believer should be like today, right? As we honor and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ. Feet still in the world, but head and heart in the heavenlies, as it were, singing songs of praise to the Lord. Okay, so today, chapter 2, where we read of the body, the body of Christ, and our membership therein, the body and our membership therein, and then chapter 3, the revelation of the mystery. So first of all, looking into chapter 2, the body of Christ and our membership <clears throat> therein. Well, one can understand doctrinal truth, even very deep and profound doctrinal truth, if one understands well, first of all, foundational truth. So what Paul does first here in chapter 2 is to lay a foundation. And apart from that understanding of the foundational truth, you cannot understand 
the depths of teaching beyond that. Okay, so you've got to stand on a foundation. <clears throat> I think everybody understands this. It's true with any kind of learning that we may have entered into. The foundational teachings need to be known. Otherwise, you can't move on to the next level. level. Okay, so what do we see here in Chapter 2? Well, first of all, Maybe you might think most remarkably, considering everything he just wrote there at the end of chapter one about how victorious Christ was over every enemy and so forth and so on. Right now, we learn, however, that Satan is still the prince of this world. Uh, that's that's the first thing we see here in chapter two, uh, the first verses there. Satan is presented as the prince of this world still today, right? Then we'll see how deep our sin and sinfulness is, how we still possess an old nature. Yes, we've been blessed so wonderfully as the children of God. We have a new nature. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We have the very life of Christ. But we still have the old nature as well. Uh, dwelling within it, us, right? So the depths of sin in our old nature is presented, and also God's pending wrath towards the unsaved. Even though such an incredible redemption has been accomplished through the Lord Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the unsaved are still under a sentence of eternal wrath. Okay, that's uh, revealed here as well. And how we were all in that condition until, through faith in Christ, we were delivered from it. Uh, then we, we learn in verses 5 through 7 here about the heavenly blessings that we have being in Christ Jesus. And then finally, how this is all due to the abundant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who are saved by grace through faith and not works. So that's in uh, those first verses in Ephesians. Oh, my. Uh, but that all were children of wrath, not only Gentiles, certainly Jews believe that the Gentiles were all children of wrath. We even learned that the Jews as well, all children of wrath, as well as Gentiles, there's no difference, as God sees that all here. Paul writes of it that way here, right? So all need salvation in the same sense. Uh, there's no special salvation for Jews versus Greeks any longer, at least not in this dispensation. All are seen by the Lord God in the same way. Okay, let's uh, start out there then. I'd like Anne to read for us, uh, beginning though in verse Four of chapter 2 and going down to verse 10. And please read for us. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved, 
through faith and not and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus unto good works which god hath before ordained that we should walk in them uh, thank you ann Oh, well, there's some words that just sort of jump off the page here. <laughs> uh, after revealing the depth of depravity there in those first four verses, we read these words, but God. <laughs> Don't you love to hear this? That God intersects with the sin of the world directly, right? And even our own waywardness and rebellion he intersects directly it says here but god who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us hath made us alive together with christ and then he mentions in parentheses there by grace ye are saved because that's going to be the subject of this uh, section of um, this chapter, right? <laughs> How God's grace uh, worked it all out that sinners who, such as ourselves, even dead in sins with no hope at all without God in the world could somehow become the very companions of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. That's what he says here. That was his plan. He could make that happen. He had the power to accomplish that. And so that's what's revealed here. And uh, I like the but God. It's not the only place he uses those words. But that our salvation is entirely by grace and not by works. What an emphasis on that here too, right? And why? that He says that in the ages to come, he might show. In other words, we're talking about eternity, right? For all eternity, that he, that the Lord God, might show or manifest forth the exceeding riches of his grace. That he would save even sinners such as ourselves, sinners even such as Paul. Think about him, right? Uh, to display throughout all the generations, he says, uh, yet to come, for all eternity, the exceeding, in other words, the unlimited, without a limit being possibly placed upon it at all, riches, wealth of his grace through his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Wow, what a statement. Now, these words are chosen by the Holy Spirit. They're designed to kindle your spirit and mine. That's why we're looking at them here today. And this is how Paul writes years later, after he met those elders from Ephesus on that island on his way to Jerusalem, never did he says to see their face again in this life, right? And yet what he left was a deposit, and upon that foundation is now constructed an entire structure of grace truth, which he now is revealing to them in this letter. Wow, what an amazing blessing these letters are. Okay, let's not stop there. There, Paul isn't finished. Uh, he wants to go on now and write about 
the shed blood of Christ. We cannot have this salvation apart from that. And not only apart from it being shed, but even apart from it being able to accomplish the payment for our sins. So this is all so critically essential for us to understand. And then also how, having been saved, we're brought now into this new heavenly organism called the body of Christ. Nobody but Paul ever mentions the body of Christ. The reason is the revelation of it was given to Paul uh, as part of this sacred secret that was uh, hidden, as we will see in chapter 3, from everyone, even from angels, until finally revealed to Paul. Okay, so now let's go ahead. Ephesians chapter 2. Linda, would you please read for us Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and come and preach peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we have we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Thank you, Linda. Uh, Linda, I think you mentioned uh, last time uh, at the end there of our meeting how wonderful it is. must have been so incredible for these Gentiles to here of how through the cross um, the enmity between Jew and Gentile was removed entirely, taken out of the way, gone. Uh, there's now peace. We're together in one body with no distinction whatsoever between Jew and Greek, right? What a blessing indeed. And you see how much he writes about that here, and it's all secured by the blood of Christ. Notice those words again, but now, but now, now, now. Not way back then, not in the Old Testament, right? Not even in the days of the Pentecostal dispensation, right? There was still great division between Jew and Gentile then, um, because God was still reaching out to Israel. In fact, he was even offering the kingdom in Acts chapter 3, right? But uh, he says, but now... In Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He has made both one. He is our peace. He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And he's abolished in his flesh the source of that division, which he says here was the law of commandments contained in ordinance. See, the law established the division between Jew and Greek. Moses' law established the division. Okay? When it was taken out of the way, nailed to his cross, even, right? Then that division was entirely removed. There was no longer a conflict between the two. So that's what we see there in those verses, how wonderful that is. And all by the blood of Christ. 
So you see there, there's all kinds of dispensational content here, how God changes the dispensation, his working changes, so the answer to the question, what is God doing, changes. No longer exalting Israel. He's exalting Jew and Gentile alike through the shed blood of Christ and faith in him. Okay, that brings us to chapter 3, and I'd like us to just at least uh, look into that to a degree now, even though we are uh, so far along here today. So, let's begin chapter 3. There are seven verses that introduce the chapter, and uh, it's a great revelation indeed here of what of the mystery, uh, Paul writes, given to him for us, for our benefit. So, Ben, Ben, please read for us. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Oh, thank you, Ben. Thank you so much. Oh, my, what a statement. What an incredible statement, really, to hear uh, revealed how Paul is set forth as the administrator of the new dispensation, right? He's the vehicle for revelation concerning it. The truths he reveals are part of the mystery, part of the sacred secret, and uh, it actually uh, is a sacred secret that couldn't have been known in any other way except through this revelation. That's what he says in verse uh, 5 there, right? Um, but not only that mankind couldn't know, even the angels in heaven couldn't know. That's also revealed here. So Paul is the administrator. Think back to Moses' law. Who was the administrator of the law originally? For many, many years, even decades, it was Moses. Obeying Moses was critical to the plan of God at that time, right? You couldn't rebel against Moses. He's the administrator of the law, right? You had to take his words as the word of the living God, right? After all, that's what he said they were. They were the word of the living God for Israel, right? Today, we're living under the dispensation of the grace of God. Who's the administrator? Paul is the administrator. He says so right here. It was a great gift to him, right, of, of God's grace, according to his grace. And the whole message of grace is given to Paul for us, for us, right, for our benefit and blessing eternally, right? So that's uh, seen there in uh, verses 1 and 2. 
mentions uh, he mentions that this is a mystery dispensation, verses three and four. In other words, a sacred secret that had not been revealed before, and only was now revealed. He says, but now revealed. Okay. In verses 5 and 6, he mentions the essence of that revelation. Two aspects of it. Now, there are many more aspects as well. We'll eventually see what they are. But two are mentioned here. First of all, fellow heirs, Gentiles, fellow heirs of the same body as Jewish believers who've been brought in to this uh, Wonderful salvation, right? So, fellow heirs, no division between them. Co-heirs is the literal translation there. Jew and Gentile co-partakers also, he says, of inheritance in the body. An inheritance in the joint body, the co-body, the joint body. Jew and Gentile together heirs and partakers of his blessing under grace, right? So those are wonderful aspects of the sacred secret uh, revealed to Paul concerning uh, the dispensation of the grace of God. And finally, he mentions how encouraged he was having received this revelation, so encouraged that he would dedicate his life to sharing it everywhere. Okay, so let's continue on here. Uh, Charlie, please read about why Paul is so encouraged uh, with this message of grace in Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 12. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. In whom we have boldness and confidence by the faith in him. Oh my. And uh, notice... Notice that not only mankind uh, was uh, blinded from this truth because it had never been revealed. It's not that it hadn't been understood properly because it was revealed all along, but the heart of man was darkened, so it couldn't be understood. That's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, he is saying something far more than that. Uh, said it was hidden in God, right? The truth of grace was hidden in God. And now there's an opportunity for it to be revealed, to be made known. And not only to mankind, but he says in verse 10, to principalities and powers in the heavenlies made known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Well, Paul was encouraged by this truth so much that he would dedicate his life to its uh, 
teaching and ministry, right? Are we? Are we so emboldened, so encouraged by this truth? Have we taken it to heart to the degree that he did? Oh, my. Notice verse 9. Just to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Okay, so. So many are on the wrong track, thinking that somehow all of this teaching that Paul is giving here is somehow already revealed from the beginning in the Old Testament by the prophets. But no, no, it was hidden in God. It was part of the whole counsel of God, hidden in the sacred plan of God from the beginning, even from before the beginning of the world. Okay, so... Um, Finally, it is now revealed, he says, but now it is now revealed through Paul for our benefit, right? So even the angels couldn't know. Even the elect angels couldn't know <laughs> what you and I know today is having been revealed through Paul. Oh, that's just amazing, isn't it? To, to rightly divide the word of truth is to give us this understanding. And apart from it, we cannot know how God is working today under grace. Okay? Now, there's much more that could be said, but I'm, I'm going to leave it at that, except for having us read together. Uh, Gail, if you'd read for us how Paul ends the chapter, because these words, this sort of finishes up to a, to a certain break point in the letter, where he will now switch over to practical matters, uh, in chapter 4. But uh, concluding this line of thinking, right, and this kind of teaching, the doctrines of grace, uh, to see how Paul sort of finishes up this stanza of his song of praise, and we should be singing the same song, should we not? Gail, would you please read for us Ephesians 3, verses 13 through 21. Wherefore, I desire that you think not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gail, so much for reading that concluding portion. What blessings are in store for all of us. Oh, yes. As we take to heart by faith what the apostle has written here, you know. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. In other words, he can't even, with human knowledge, express the fullness of it, you see, right? To know how God is working today. He's pouring out his love in our hearts that we might have it for others, right? There's no limit to it. He says, uh, you, you need to be able now 
to uh, comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that she might be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? This is the most exalted language you'll find anywhere. Well, except from Paul's letters, right? (laughs) Where he continues to write like this, does he not? And the last verse there, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Really, age upon age upon age upon age. There'll be no end to this glorifying of God through the church. Right? What blessings are in store? as we take God at his word. And uh, what Paul reveals here is essential for the knowledge of believers to have. And yet, rightly dividing is required. As you can see, it's all about the dispensation that is now in place. Not the other dispensations. They all reflect the glory of God in other ways, right? Especially with Israel as the focus, right? Uh, But uh, this dispensation... Different perspective. It's really not an earthly perspective at all. And how God will bless Israel in the kingdom, that's not part of this. It's all about the heavenly perspective that we need to have as members of a heavenly body, which he calls the body of Christ, right? Christ is the head. We are the members. His life flows through us. May we rejoice and be glad in all that he is doing in us today, looking forward to all eternity. So when we say enjoy the Lord, as we often do, that's what we're referring to. Enjoy the wealth of his grace. We possess it now. Enjoy it. Taking his word by faith. His word is the spiritual food that we must consume if we are to enjoy him fully, right? Now, there are many who are saved who are not enjoying him fully. They're not taking the word in correctly. doesn't mean they're not saved. They're saved if they believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And the gospel of the grace of God. Our opportunity is to reflect this grace to them so that many more might know the fullness of it. Praise God for that ministry and that opportunity. Well, I'm so glad you're all with us today. Are there any uh, questions or any comments before we close today? I should. The uh, Ephesians 3, 5. He was talking about the, uh, uh, the mystery being revealed unto his holy apostles. Plural. Okay, so... I start scratching my head um, because based on the scripture, at least being written, uh, the revelation of the mystery was revealed to Paul, and he didn't really specify any other uh, apostle or other uh, character per se. So since he was talking about using pearls, so does he also imply that the other 11 remaining apostles also being given the revelation? 
Well, you ask very good questions, Lewis. <laughs> I wish we had time to answer that or even to try to. Um, well, I, I think there are two legitimate views on this. One is that uh, through Paul, they, they all came to, to know this truth, right? He certainly taught them, uh, I think. Uh, you can read Peter's letter where Peter says so, right? Where Peter says, well, yeah, we, we all know about the, about Paul and his apostleship and, and the word of grace given to him, right? Then he adds, some of it's very hard to understand. He was a member of the Twelve. He had a different life and ministry and future purpose, right? So that's one view is that, yes, Paul made it known to them. Uh, the other uh, view is that there are apostles and prophets uh, that Paul does write about in his letters that are apostles and prophets in the context of the body of Christ, um, not any longer. There are no longer any prophets. Prophet receives direct revelation from God. There are no longer any apostles today. Apostles are sent forth by God with a specific apostolic gift, right? Um, and uh, Paul does mention uh, others uh, that I think we've talked about before here in passing. But um, they're not made a center, central focus uh, of his teaching in those letters where he does reveal their names. So those are the two things I would say about it. I do not believe that somehow this, this knowledge was made general apart from Paul. It was all through Paul and uh, all of those that were with him you know, on his apostolic journeys were a part of that revelation and had very special uh, ministries, extremely special, whereby he could have, and I think he did, call some of them apostles and prophets. Of course, the Spirit of God was all directly involved in all of that work, right? So that's what I would say. Lewis, uh, that was a great question, though. Any other questions or comments today? Okay, well, let's thank the Lord. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. What a blessing it is. What a blessing. I thank you so much for Paul, Father. We love him dearly and uh, seek to imitate him as he imitates Christ and to walk as he walked and also, Father, to suffer as he suffered as he encouraged uh, us each to do, uh, to recognize the, the fullness of his grace and uh, to know our place in the great outworking of uh, the ministry of grace in this world today. We are truly the lights. We have the life of Christ dwelling within us. Uh, we can uh, live in the realm of that and uh, be lights to others. And I pray, Father, that we would be exactly that and that we would share the wonderful message of grace uh, wherever we go and that we do so with boldness and great confidence as Paul exhorts uh, the Ephesians here and through this letter also us. Father, thank you for our opportunity to open this word together today and to be blessed greatly by it. And Father, we would thank you, and we do thank you in Christ's precious and holy name. And 
and amen. Amen. Enjoy all.